We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everybody? Quick cold open here. Greg Manick is checking in on this episode of Green with Envy. You are going to hear my girlfriend sneezing in the background, apparently. <laughs> and uh, you will hear a conversation between myself and Adam Taylor discussing Chris Stapp's Porzingis's uh, injury, his plantar fasciitis injury that's going to keep him out of the FIBA World Cup. And then after the break, you're going to hear a conversation between Will Weir and Matt Issa of Forbes. And they're going to be talking about Matt's uh, most recent article that he wrote about Antoine Walker, who is Will's absolute favorite player from his childhood. Great conversation. Uh, conversation between me and Adam is about 13 minutes. And then Will's conversation with Matt is about 20 minutes long. Uh, you can find both of these conversations in video format on our YouTube channel. And with that, keep the intro. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yo, is it me hosting? Okay. What's yeah, up, you're the host, baby. Yo, we didn't, we didn't, uh, we didn't, we should have figured this out before we went live. <laughs> What's poppin', everybody? Welcome back to another quick hit from Green with Envy. Today, we're on a somber note, but maybe a good note, depending on how you want to look at it. Chris Stapps Porzingis will not be playing in the FIBA World Cup. He will be rehabbing a foot injury that looks like it's a plantar issue. He released a statement on Twitter earlier today when basically in what we had to translate it was all sorts of i just couldn't read it he's he's feeling bad he wanted to play in the world cup this this is another star that's pulled out now so the world cup is throwing me off with putting me on the spot to host the world cup is uh losing stars left right and center at this point chris that's been the latest but for celtics fans given what happened to dinolo gallinari last like, season with the acl injury this is probably like best case scenario allow chris Stapps the off season to recover to work with the Celtics medical staff and then be in the best shape possible for him heading into the new season. Greg, how are you feeling about this, bro? Well, first, I feel like we have to throw some apologies out there to our guy, Rupert, right? We were all doubting Rupert. I think it was like Rupert Fazig or Fabig, whatever his name was, where he came out with that report last week that Chris Stapps was actually dealing with this injury and everybody was a little bit skeptical. Um, but it seems like this, you know, Rupert was right. He had He had all the right sources. The plantar fasciitis, you know, that's definitely something that can be overcome, but you need to rest it. 
right? You cannot push a plantar fasciitis injury. It's something that needs, you know, weeks to months to heal. And I, I just like that he was able to have the, the wherewithal and the foresight to see that this, as much as he wanted to play for his country, coming into the season with a chance to play for an NBA championship, full health was the, was the priority for him. And I'm glad that he already has this relationship with the Celtics organization and the medical staff to make that joint decision because you're really starting to establish that trust there. It stinks for the guy. You know, I wanted to see him play in the FIBA World Cup. I want everybody to be, uh, to be happy, to be healthy. But Porzingis, as you said, Adam, it's a little bit of a somber note. We can't see him play, but you know, we're not going to see him severely injured. He's taken a precautionary measure to be ready for a training camp. And I think that's the right move. Let's be honest. Have you ever had a plantar issue? Have you ever had that injury on your foot? Cause man, it hurts like hell. Tell me about it. I've never had one. That I literally just, that's it. It just hurts. dude. It hurts <laughs> when you walk. It hurts the more. Exit, so the it's more the bottom of your foot. Yeah, it's like the archway, right? It's like at the very, you know, where your foot kind of arches over. It's like that bit there. You can get special soles for your shoes, but it doesn't help massively. Like it alleviates the pain a little bit when walking, but running and jumping, especially, I, I, didn't, I never even attempted to jump. But I can imagine that that's just past discomfort. It's going to hurt, especially. And I'm a big guy. Chris Statsporzingis is over a foot taller than me. So, like, the bigger you are, the more weight you're going to be putting down on that. I, I think the best thing for him is to rest at this point. As you said, he's building trust with the organization. For Celtics fans, yeah, okay, we don't really have a horse in the race now once it comes to the FIBA World Cup in terms of an individual. That just means we can enjoy the basketball without needing to be overly biased or overly worried every time there's a hard foul or somebody takes a hard hit to the floor after going for a layup or a dunk. It means we can just enjoy it a little bit more. This is off-season, baby, man. We're not meant to be stressing about injuries this early. <laughs> uh, I'm, yeah. I'm fine with Chris Stapps sitting out. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with him sitting out too, and I'm happy that he's sitting out so that he can be healthy for training camp. But obviously, this begs the question that a lot of people had when we made the Marcus Smart trade for Chris Stapps Porzingis is why are we taking on the risk of a seven-footer with a history of lower body injuries? So when you see already... You know, he's 28 years old or 27 turning 28. I can't, I don't know if he's turned 28 yet, but with Porzingis's history of lower body injuries, do you think that this is a harbinger of things to come or is it too, too soon to speculate on something like that? Yeah. I mean, this is the type of injury that you don't really, you can't really predict. It kind of just comes, it happens like, and I don't think it's the type of injury that's going to keep him out for a prolonged period as long as he rests correctly and he works with the medical staff. Is it? A harbinger of doom? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, when you look at most of the talented big men in the NBA, they all suffer with lower body injuries um, and lower body kind of like just nagging pains because they're big and because they're banging more. They're in that position where they're on the block more. And Bede's done, and Bede suffers with it. Um, Anthony Davis, obviously, they're a, a, on a different level to what Paul Zingas is. But the point I'm making is the bigger you are, the more likely you are to sustain these lower body injuries. I think that when you look at the talent that you're bringing in, what he brings to the team in terms of being able to play five out, being able to give you some post offense, some low block offense, and being able to kind of free up that mid range a little bit more for some actions to be run there, the deal was the deal made sense, and you made, the, the Celtics are a better rust unit because of it. But yeah, you do you do acquire some of that risk when you go for a big guy, and unfortunately, most talented big men come with this injury risk. 
Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I'm I'm a little concerned with Porzingis's foot injury. It's almost like when you hear foot injury on big man, like you think of, of guys like uh, Bill Walton back in the day, you know, uh, even um, I, I forget where Il- oh, Gal- I think Ilgauskas was Lithuanian. I think Ilgauskas is, is Lithuanian, but he was a really talented seven foot three uh, European and he had some foot injuries and him after his foot injuries was not the same player that he was early in his career. He ended up moving around like Frankenstein for the last five years of his career just because of a foot injury. So when you hear foot injury, you get a little bit nervous. But when you hear it's just plantar fasciitis, which is just, you know, as you said, a nagging injury that comes from wear and tear. Joel Embiid had that injury, as you said. I'm pretty sure that's the injury that LeBron had this season as well, right? It just happens. Um, you step the wrong way. You can pop that thing and it... uh you know, it, it's unfortunate that Porzingis is going to be missing the FIBA World Cup, but for Celtics fans, you got to feel pretty good about that. I do want to talk really quickly, Adam, about the FIBA World Cup. Have you been able to watch any Team USA or have you been able to watch any of the other games that, that have been on TV? I have not. So it hasn't really been covered here. Somebody hooked me up with a free league pass on courtside, uh, one eight. What is it, 1891 or 1981 mm-hmm. or whatever it is? Yeah. Someone hooked me up with a free league pass there, and I got hooked up with that this morning. So I will be catching up over the next few days. Um, I can also hook anyone up with 20% off on that as well. They helped me up. I don't make any money off that. That's just, hey, here's a free one for you. And if you know anyone that wants it, they can get 20% off. Um, again, it, I don't make no money. So it's if you want it, it's there. But for me, it's definitely going to be catching up. I want to watch a bit of Team USA. I'd like to watch some Spain. I think that Shai is going to be one of the breakout stars of the entire tournament. Um, I'd like to see how he's how they're featuring him, how they're using him, utilizing him, and how teams are trying to slow him down. And then part of me really wants to look at some of these uh, Baltic teams from the Baltic states to see how they're lining up because they do play a really physical, like bullish brand of basketball, and I'm really interested to see how that translates. It's been really fun watching Team USA uh, so far. Anthony Edwards, man, he looks like the best athlete on a, a team of great athletes already. Oh, yeah, but he might be the best, uh, most explosive, you know, six foot six and under guy right now in the league. He is an absolute freak. And the fact that they're kind of unleashing him on the defensive end as well. He has some moments even in the NBA when he decides he wants to shut somebody down that he he does it. And so far watching him on Team USA, it's really it's really fun to see. Though the one thing that I was I just wanted to throw out there for you really quickly, and I'm putting you on the spot. Okay, my my coworker, shout out to my guy Brett Hazard today. He put me on the spot today and he asked me if everybody, all American players, were available and willing and healthy to play on Team USA, who would your top ten guys be? So every American player in, in the league is just available, healthy. Yes. I mean, you're just basically asking me my top 10 Americans in the NBA. <laughs> like, I mean, kind of. It, like, it was actually a little bit harder than, than I thought today. There were some people that I left off. Who did you leave off? That's the question first. Uh, I left off Kawhi Leonard. So there's one guy I left off. I left off Anthony Davis. Both injury risks. You don't want to be having somebody go down mid-tournament. I understand this. Yeah, so now now I'm throwing it to you. No more Stalin, my man. All right, then. So I'm going to go <laughs> Steph. Steph. Clay, LeBron. Uh, okay, so those three in there. Tatum, obviously. Jalen Brown. I feel like that's rounding out there. So I've got Steph, Clay, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, LeBron. I need a big. The big's the hardest part, right? Because the best bigs in the world in the NBA at the moment 
aren't are not American. <laughs> uh, let yeah. me con- let me continue first. Two have I got Steph, Clay, LeBron, Tatum, Brown. Can I stop you on Clay? Why why are you going Clay? Just for the floor spacing. Just because I think that I'm very big on if you like the one thing that Team USA has an advantage on most teams in the world is explosiveness. But if you want guys getting down to the rim and exploding, you need people that are going to keep the defense stretched out. So Clay goes in just for that. Anthony Edwards for that explosiveness. He has to be there. Like he's probably one of my favorite guys in the NBA right now. I'm still really struggling on who I would take at the five. I'm, I'm going to have to take Anthony Davis just because I think, he, you know, if you can keep him healthy, he's going to dominate. You need a backup big man as well. It's the five spot that's really messing with me, man. Because yeah, like, it was like, it was hard for me. So I left Davis out. I'll, I'll give you the the guys that I went with. So I went Steph, Booker, Tatum, Durant, and Bam. So that was the five that I had. Um, did those off the dome, yeah. and then I was debating uh, debating between Dame Lillard as the backup point guard versus I forget who was the other guy. I was I was thinking at the back. Oh, or or Kyrie. I was thinking Dame or Kyrie because no Kyrie. Kyrie's getting left off instantly. I I know, but dude, like if if he's surrounded by all those other superstars, you know that he's gonna like he's gonna turn it. He's gonna be so good, dude. He's gonna be awesome. You know, Kyrie's gonna be awesome. So I would have Kyrie as the backup uh, point guard there. I like Anthony Davis. I changed my mind. I was gonna go Jaron Jackson Jr. as the backup five just because he's on the That's team. That's the guy. So yeah. So let me start this again. So I'm going Steph. I'm going Clay. I'm going Jalen Brown. I'm going D Book. That's my four guard, like my point guard and shooting guards, kind of rotating yep. around. Then I'm going Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant. Uh, I'm going Anthony Davis, Jaron Jackson Jr. How many is that? I think that's seven or eight for you no that's nine for you nine for you so i just need one more forward really it's preferably be somebody that could slide up and down same way tatum can same way uh oh god this like oh anthony edwards there we go i'm done okay he's not even so a forward so you're gonna have to put jalen brown up a position so adam do you, you realize and i almost did this earlier you realize you just left lebron off that team I did, and he was in my first team, and then I meant I did it again, and I left him off. But it's like, hard, man. man. It's hard. There, well, the, one of the things that I found from this exercise is there are a lot of guys, you know, like Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. Um, didn't mention them, and then uh, Jimmy Butler. Right, we didn't even talk about Jimmy Butler Zach there. Zach Levine got left off. Zach Levine. Uh, Draymond, no one mentioned. You want defense? You want Draymond? No one mentioned. I mean, there's so many. Lillard didn't get added. Um, there's just so many, dude. So many talented players on the American Team USA. I really like what they've done this year where they've gone young. No Halliburton. He's probably my favorite guard in the entire league. Do you know what? I'm sorry, but somebody's got to go. Um, Clay, you're going to lose out. I'm going to put, I'm going to replace you with Tyrese Halliburton. I have to. Yeah, I think that's the right move at this point. And Adam, I know it's super late for you, so I apologize for putting you on the spot like that. But that's going to do that. Do it uh, for this edition of Green with MV Quick Hits. Adam starts as the host. Greg finishes as the host. Chris Tapps Porzingis offseason is finished right now. He is on the shelf until training camp. Chris Tapps, rest up. Everybody, make sure you're tuning into the podcast, Green with Envy. And then Will and I will actually be hopping on uh, the First of the Floor podcast tonight to compete against each other in a trivia matchup. So shout out to our guys at First of the Floor. Adam, it's been real. Go get some sleep, my guy. 
yeah man for sure appreciate it i catch you i catch everybody later i'll probably be doing like um an adam taylor nba quick hit tomorrow on something or other i'm back getting back into my normal schedule now greg my guy i'll catch you soon everybody we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. What up, what up, what up? Welcome into another Green with Envy quick hit edition. As always, this is your boy Will Weir. How you doing? How you living? Joining me today, we have a special guest. This man decided to do a deep dive on my favorite childhood Celtic growing up, the one and only Antoine Walker. So as soon as I saw the article drop, I had to reach out. I had to get him on the show and had to talk to him about it a little bit more. Joining me today from Forbes Magazine, SB Nation, it's Matt Issa. Matt, how you doing, brother? Pretty great. I'm pretty great. Um, I know you said well, uh, Antoine Walker was your favorite player growing up, so you were coming around in the 2000s did you watch entourage by any chance tv show Man, it's so funny you say that so you know i obviously being from boston i grew up in dorchester same yeah. area as mark Wahlberg, who produced entourage and you know entourage was such a, a cultural phenomenon i was one of the few i mean i've seen the show i know enough about mm. the show was never a huge fan of entourage despite everyone around me loving that show Interesting. The only reason I bring it up is because uh, Jeremy Piven, the guy who plays Ari, the agent mm-hmm. on Entourage, he has like a podcast now. It's called, it's like the funniest podcast name of all time. It's How You Live in Jay Piven, 
And um, <laughs> when you said how you live and I just was immediately reminded of that because you just, it, I don't know, it's so silly. Well, I got to, I got to connect with Jeremy Piven. Then we got to see if we're on the same wavelength. And if we got the same sign on or something, we got to, we may have to have some copyright conversations about who came up with it first, see who got the stamp on it. But uh, yeah, man. So, you know, growing up in Boston, uh, you know, I grew up, I was born in 89. So I grew up mostly, I was thinking about this before this morning, before we hopped on, you know, my childhood, right when I became really able to, you know, fully understand what was happening in basketball was right after the Larry Bird era, right, with the Celtics. So it's a really grim section of Celtics basketball in the mid-90s. And, you know, myself, one of our other co-hosts here, we're best friends. We grew up together. We always talk about it's amazing how much we love basketball going through the mid-90s Celtics. And it was really, Antoine was the first kind of glimmer of hope that, you know, any 90s kid had growing up in Boston for ha- for knowing what good basketball looked like besides the tales of what our fathers would tell us and what the uncles would say about the 80s Celtics and so on and so forth. So, you know, I'm really curious. I I love the offseason because it lets people kind of, you know, let their freak flag fly in a way in a sense of just like exploring, you know, untouched topics, right? And so I'm curious, what drew you to doing a deeper dive into Antoine Walker's game? Yeah, I mean, my goal is to, uh, like, you know, I'm a young guy, I'm only 24, so I can't. That's the other part I was left. very curious about. Is I know you didn't grow up with Antoine like I yeah, did. No, so you you I only didn't. caught probably the tail end of that career, which which wasn't nearly as good as the beginning. No, um, but um, so I, I want to be like an I'm, I'm aspiring NBA historian, right? I want to learn more about the game of history. So every off season, I've I've spent time working on little projects. And last off season, I worked on one with Richard Lewis, and you know those Orlando Magic teams were famous for taking a lot of threes um so i started looking at like three point attempt rate like by season of like all nba teams trying to see like which teams had like similar like outlier levels of three point rate relative to the teams they were uh competing against so the teams that season and you know there's a bunch of them and i kept noticing uh like those early 2000s boston celtics we're just taking a ton of threes <laughs> under Patino and under Jim O'Brien. And then I started, you know, I knew Patino kind of really uh, emphasized the three-point shot, but then I started looking into like Jim, Ogre, uh, Jim, Jim O'Brien's kind of like uh, biography as a coach, started seeing a trend of teams just taking more threes when he was their coach. Um, and uh, I look at those Celtics teams and I see like how many threes Antoine Walker and Paul Pierce are taking. And I'm like, okay, just bookmark this, you know, whenever I have time, I want to look into this, you know, you know, like you said, we have, we have some time on our hands right now. Um, I don't, I, you know, not a big, like, uh, um, international basketball fan. Like I don't like mm-hmm. really watching like all that stuff. Um, just more of an NBA guy. I love the lore, I love the history of it all. Right. So some, why not watch some Antoine Walker? So I, you know, I did some watching and that's kind of the, the inception of this article. Yeah, I, the the fact that you just said the lore and the history of the NBA and it's all centered around Antoine is just it's just it's making me smile from ear to ear right now. If you're watching this uh, on our YouTube channel here, but you're right, it's it's wild when you look back at at some of the the stats and you see you know Antoine was shooting for a three year period between seven and eight threes per game in the early two thousands. Like if you go back and watch those games, it's it's unimaginable. Some of those games didn't break ninety points. Most of those games didn't break you know eighty five ninety points at at different times. And so it is kind of crazy to think about. And then in the article, you kind of go into, 
you know, all aspects of Antoine's game, right? Because I think most noticeable or most memorable people are going to say, oh, he was a chucker that just shot a lot of threes. But there was more to Antoine. There really was a lot more to his game. And even recently, uh, we did a we did a breakout video where I don't know if you saw on uh, the Ryan Rossillo podcast, he interviewed T-Mac. And T-Mac talked about tanking his Celtics interview uh, in 1997, I believe, when Rick Pitino was the coach because he didn't want to play for Rick Pitino. Celtics had two first round picks that year. They went with Chauncey Billups and Ron Mercer instead. So of course we, uh, we took a walk down, you know, what if territory of what if the Celtics had T-Mac to go with Antoine and maybe Paul Pierce. And, you know, in that, you know, we were talking about, man, Twan's game really would have translated probably a lot better to the modern game that that you see today. And part of that is not just the three-point shooting, and you talked about it. I thought I think his passing was something that was super underrated. Can you talk about what you found going through the game tape about Antoine's passing? Yeah, so um, the very first game I watched was that famous, you know, Celtics comeback against the Nets, the one you can find on YouTube, right? So I watched that game first. And there was like a clip, you know, where the, I can't remember who was calling the game. I think Breen was one of the guys calling the game, but, um, there's like a clip in there where they're talking about, you know, how Jim O'Brien says, and I have like, you know, I, I know coming into this, I knew what like the average person knew about Antoine Walker. Like he, you know, he took a lot of shots. He made some questionable decisions with some of those shots. You know what I mean? <laughs> I knew so like, I just thought he was like a big goofball. Right. Um, and I hear Jim O'Brien say they, they're paraphrasing what Jim O'Brien said, but um, they're like, he's like the smartest guy on the team. He's like our quarterback is this, this and that. And I'm like, okay, it's just, you know, a lip service, right. To just one of his star players. And I'm watching and I'm like, like, wow, that's a really nice pass. And then I, I look at Pierce miss a pass that's similar to that. And I'm like, and I keep watching. I'm like, Oh, that's another nice read. And then, then I watch this play. I'm like, he makes a really good rotation. The thing is, he's just the way he's built. It's just a little. He moves a little slowly, so he wasn't there in time. You <laughs> the, know? the eye yeah. test doesn't match yeah. with the, the body. Like, you know what you're you seeing. You can see there. him like pointing things out to guys. You can see him getting upset with his teammates because they did the wrong thing. And I'm like watching. I watch. Like, damn, like this guy's like a really cerebral basketball player. Like, holy shit, would have thought you know because like the reputation that's kind of um, unjustly been attached to the guy, right? So from watching that, like, again, passing is one of those things where that's really a good sign of like how much you see the floor, because like, you know, being able to read where openings are coming from, being able to kind of manipulate things the way you want them. The, those are all like telltale signs of like spatial awareness, uh, court mapping, all this and that. And yeah, he's, he's one of the, at that time, probably one of the better big man passers in the NBA. Um, I'll say this, he's better. He's better when he can like, like he has the ball in his hands and he kind of stands still survey the court rather than like when he's, or when he's in the open floor in transition, mm -hmm. then when he's like dribbling through traffic, trying to make passes because he didn't have like the best handle. So like when he was dribbling through traffic, he was kind of more focused on like maintaining his dribble. He was more worried about that than like being able to read the floor. Whereas when he was in transition or when he was kind of like just in the post, like hanging out, like he could kind of scan out and like see his options and stuff. But that's kind of what I learned about his passing, but very, very underrated as a passer. 
Yeah, and you had a in the article, which is which is linked in the description, by the way. You know, you, you had a couple really great examples of his passing, which I thought it was even more perfect that they both ended in misses because, like I said, the '90s, late early 2000s Celtics outside of Paul and Antoine was a little rough. But there's one where Kenny Anderson uh, misses a layup, and then one where Tony Petit fumbles uh, mm-hmm. fumbles the catch, and then misses a, a mid range jumper. So very reminiscent, very spot on for my memories of late '90s, early 2000s uh, Celtic basketball ball but you know we talk about even his shot selection right and this is the part you, you mentioned in the article you kind of went through you know jim o'brien's philosophies as, as as a basketball coach and kind of what that celtics team was trying to do where they are they or they were i should say excuse me a little bit ahead of the time with how many threes that they were shooting and they had a pretty average offense but if you're gonna have an average offense you know let's try to even the odds out with some math a little bit and that's kind of where where the celtics fell but i thought something that was interesting that i think you know, people may not remember always is that, you know, you talked about with his shot selection, of course, there were definitely some questionable shots in there, but it was typically, you know, his shots were coming off of, of passes. It wasn't him dancing like you would think of, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, hot sauce or anything like that, you know, trying to go between the legs and then and then shoot off the dribble. It was typically within the offensive rhythm and, you know, off of either him sprinting in transition to the three-point line, which you mentioned back in the day it was him and Reggie Miller, maybe a handful of other guys that were utilizing what is now very common that if you have a fast break three on two at least one if not two of those guys are sprinting and stopping at the three-point line as opposed to to going directly in so you know through that deeper dive of of looking at his his shot selection you know the efficiency was never quite there but it feels like the shot selection maybe wasn't quite as bad as what maybe you would have thought it would have been going into this experiment yeah so um, I was watching an old game actually yesterday. It was a Chicago Bulls game. I think it was Doug Collins on the call. Um, and he was saying like, he was talking about John Starks because it was the year after Starks kind of had the rough finals and you know how his kind of career started to collapse after that. But um, uh, he was saying like, uh, John Starks is going through the worst possible thing you could have as like a basketball player. Like he's thinking too much, right? And uh, like, I think the cool thing about Walker and it's like, there's a trade off to it, but like Walker was like supremely confident. He, he never really hesitated. You know, he always, you talk about 0.5 basketball today. He was always kind of like that out of his time. He wasn't like a, like a really methodical, like type player. Like he did things like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? He was very, he played with a lot of conviction. I like to say. Right. And so like the trade off to that is like, you know, he was a confident basketball player. So sometimes he took a couple shots for it's like, you know, probably not the best idea, but, um, that's a, the trade-off. That's the tax you pay. And you talk about them having an average offense. The thing is, like between O'Brien's understanding of three is greater than two, and Walker's ability to you know take a bunch of threes, Pierce's ability to take a bunch of threes. Um, I, I talk about this later in the article, but Walker was also able to play as a small ball five. And what that did is it allowed them to put more offense on the floor and still have good defense. This team, if they weren't able to like they barely made it to being an average offense like they their personnel was like if i i didn't look through every team in the nba that season but they were like probably like bottom five bottom seven offensive personnel in the nba but thanks to walker's unique gifts thanks to o'brien's philosophy of shooting a lot of threes they were able to juice the most they could out of that offense and get it to respectable which in a weaker weaker eastern conference when you combined like you know average a little bit below average offense with high-end defense that's enough to get you what was it two wins away from the, NBA wins away from the yeah which is wild so like, to think about <laughs> yeah so like 
people will say like, yeah, Walker took a lot of shots. Well, Walker taking those shots was better than anyone else on the roster doing it with the exception of Pierce. Like, who did you want yeah. taking those shots? Was it going to be Eric Williams? Was it going to be Tony Delk? Was it going to be Tony Batie? You know, like uh, Rodney Rogers, whoever it was like, they couldn't take that many shots and be as efficient. It sounds funny to say as efficient as Walker. You know what I mean? Like he, I'm now I'm not going to say like, you could build an elite offense with Walker as your second best offensive player, but like he was the perfect piece for what that Celtics team had going for them during that time. And like he, you know, he led them to great heights, which is an Eastern conference finals. albeit a week Eastern conference, but still like that's a good season. Most times when your team is two wins away from the NBA finals, you are yeah. a good basketball team in most cases. And the crazy part about that all is that, you know, as you're going through kind of their roster and the way that they were were set up and the philosophy, that's in part what led them to be a little bit overzealous because the reason Rodney Rogers and Tony Delk were on that team is because the Celtics traded away a little little rookie named Joe Johnson, who uh, who, who might have been a good fit for the long term if they had waited that out just a little bit more. So it's funny thinking about how that philosophy probably influenced them getting a little bit too aggressive uh, in the market with the young rookie. Something I'm curious to know is, do you think there is, you know, who do you think right in, in the modern NBA would potentially be, you know, a facsimile to, to Antoine Walker? Is there a guy out there? I struggled to really come up with one. I, I found a few maybe like statistical profiles, but game style, body type, it's really hard to find somebody, but I was curious if there was anyone that, that comes to your mind. Yeah. So as I was, I'm going to be hundred percent transparent as I was doing it. No, because I kind of talk about it in the article, but he's like, um, he's skilled like a modern big today, but he's built like a classical one. Like if you watch it anytime he was involved in a screen, it was rough to watch. Like yeah. we would like him navigating through screen is it, well, he didn't really navigate through. He just kind of like collided with the dude and just like pointed at his guy to switch. You know, <laughs> that was another thing he would, he would always like, I feel like he was uh too trigger happy with the switches, like the calls for switches. Um, so I couldn't tell if he was like lazy or that was like coach's orders, but I feel uh, like it's probably somewhere in the middle of probably, probably he, played, a little bit he played an insane amount of minutes too. That's another thing that people don't understand. He played like 41, 42 minutes a game. So maybe if he only played 30, he would have given a little bit more effort into certain things on defense. But, um, so I didn't have like one at the time just cause he was so unique to me, but somebody mentioned it to me after the fact, it was one of the readers said Julius Randall. And I actually, really like that um i would say yeah i mean similar like kind of classical body types randall's kind of built like a classical forward but he has these more modern skills he's he's pretty trigger happy yeah um with the jumper although i'll say i think walker has better shot selection i think walker's a better passer but i do think randall probably better defender um better driver more like of an on-ball scorer but like similar, if you think about it, like probably similar standings within the league during their times in the league, I would actually say maybe Walker was the better player in his era at his peak than Randall. But I mean, we could quibble about that. Yeah, I mean that stuff. I mean, Randall's just made two All NBAs in the last I, couple. I, of I, seasons, I don't. So. I don't also. I also don't agree with either of those All NBAs or the <laughs> right. Um, I mean, of course, All Star nods. It, it's incorrect. I don't. I don't. Randall's probably not like he wouldn't be if the what's the like if you're doing word association. Julius Randall, mm-hmm. the first thing you're not going to think of is All NBA, right? No, but. Those things no. did happen, but but I agree. I think I think that the the profiles of who they are and who they're thought of as 
was, right? Especially mm-hmm. for you know for for Tuan, really be between ninety eight and 03. That's kind of like where where his peak lies. This would be that that similar type arc to to where Randall is today. You know, with the Knicks, where that's why there's still those lingering questions. Well, if Randall's your best or second best player behind Brunson, however you, you want to look at, it, I would definitely say Brunson's their best player. But you know, it's like ah, what are you going to do with that? You know what I mean? Like where do you get? And that's to your point where you said if Antoine's your second best guy and you're running a lot of your offense through him. I don't know, but obviously in today's era, there'd be a little bit more space. It would be a really interesting experiment to, you know, to kind of see where Tuan might fall. You know, I'm curious, Matt, in, in your in your research for this article, did you have any either fun facts or anecdotes that maybe didn't quite make the article that you really enjoyed learning about in your research? Um I mean, I kind of, I kind of dropped some of them with like the, the thing where he liked to he liked to point switch a lot um, when he you know probably shouldn't have. There's the one the one the one that everyone knows. I didn't actually explicitly say it in the article, um, but I hyperlink it where he talks about like why do you shoot so many threes because there are no fours. One one of the greatest all time yeah. NBA quotes. If, if you're, thought, if you're I, making it's, the it's top five, list, it's got to be up there. <laughs> pretty forward thinking thought, yeah. honestly. Um, other fun facts. I mean, that passer rating stat I reference, he was pretty high. I say he was mm-hmm. in the 89th percentile that season, but he was always in like the high 70s, low 80s for his prime years. And that, uh, oh, here's one. This has nothing to do with uh, Antoine Walker. And I know Celtics fans have a little bit of beef with this guy considering what they had to give up to acquire him. But Rodney Rogers was actually kind of like a ahead of his time. He was kind of like Walker. I always liked Rodney. Kinda, it was just the price. Yeah. I liked Rodney, though. Yeah, he was kind of like ahead of his time, though, where it was like, you know, pretty good shooter, could pass. Um, and, but he was kind of built like a more classical forward. Uh, but yeah, I'm still kind of mad that I missed the mark on that Julius Randle one. <laughs> I feel like that would have been a nice little uh, pin drop. Because once he said it to me, um, I was just like, holy crap, like how did I... And they got the Kentucky yeah. connection as well, too, yeah. right? So you could you could have looped it together yeah. uh in a couple of different ways. I'll I'll say the one the one part of your article that I wish that there could have been um a little bit more on is is we gotta talk more about the wiggle. I've been I've been wiggling since I was nine years old because of Antoine. It happens when I talk. So a lot of times on podcasts you just see kind of moving back and forth. And you know, it's it's the the Walker wiggle is something that was a staple of my childhood. So that's one thing I've always wanted to learn more about is whether that that was something that he just came up with on the spot or if this was something that was predetermined but that's that's perhaps maybe an article for a for a different day yeah i'll say this um again like i, I did similar piece on mon and ginobili and i think both of these guys warrant like much greater investigation like i've been talking you know my myself about getting into the youtube space more and if i was to do that i think the video form would probably be a better forum for both of those guys to kind of explore that stuff, like a, maybe like a 10, 15 minute video. Whereas in these articles, I was mostly trying to focus on like what makes them like kind of similar to players today back then. But yeah, that would be interesting little shimmy wiggle. Those, those are cool. Those were really cool. I remember one game, I don't know, it was just always cool. Like when the garden would get super hyped and he was just like, like I said, he was super confident. Um, it was 
awesome. He's an awesome he, player, man. He knew how to play off the crowd. He was he was yeah. definitely a showman and knew how to, to play oh, off yeah. the crowd and get the crowd going. Well, Matt, I appreciate you joining me today, man. I really enjoyed the article. I enjoy all of your work. And uh, for those of you listening right now that aren't familiar with Matt or not sure where his work is at, please g- give us a little rundown of where people can find your find your stuff. Um, I'm all over the place. So I think the best thing to do would just be follow me on Twitter at MattIsa15. That's at M-A-T. I just say 15. I usually tweet out the work I'm doing, um, tweet out just random stuff on, I don't tweet anything anymore. I guess I X, I X, whatever. <laughs> I, it, does, it still doesn't flow. It doesn't flow. It doesn't yeah, sound right. I'm going to call it Twitter forever. I, I think we care. all are. I don't care what you have to say. Elon, <laughs> but, um, yeah. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you stopping by here, man. It's been a pleasure. Anytime I can talk about Antoine Walker, I'm going to take the opportunity to do it. So appreciate you stopping by brother. Thank you so much. Every time I get this high, I lose my mind. It don't take much no more. Until I hit the floor. Every time I get this high, it's you I find. It don't take much no more. Until I match your door. You cut me to my core, baby. What can I say? You got me on the floor, you know I came to play. I know I shouldn't, but you seem to take my pain away. And every time I score, Jason Tatum fade away. I close my eyes and I'm floating your river. I call to see if you open, you know I hope you deliver. Every time you're getting close, I still be sick with the shivers. But there's nothing like that first time. I still remember the first time I saw you. You were looking so fine, chill like lo-fi. Watch you go by. It was all I could do to say hi I still remember the first time I saw you You were looking so fine, chill like no fun I did all I could do to stay high Oh no Till the magic door